Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Dad, for that prayer, and thank you for all, yeah, a lot of people were messaging me, and uh, yeah, that means a lot. I told my wife that, you know, I just, you know, thinking about it, and you get at peace about it, and then somebody will message you, and it's like, stop it. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I, I really appreciate it, but yeah, it just makes you have to think about it all all over again so <clears throat> and yeah I'm glad to see each one here um, yeah thankful to to each one that came and welcome so dad gave me some advice a couple of months ago we were talking about the upcoming minister ordination and we were I asked him, I said, so do you feel free, like as a minister, do you feel free to struggle with things? Is it hard to struggle and to know that you maybe have things to work on being a minister, being a leader? And he gave me good advice. He said he'll often let it motivate him to study, and then he'll have a message on it. And that, uh, that helps. So that's kind of what I'm doing today. I think, I hope you can appreciate how I suppose it'll get better, but I feel awkward up here this morning. Um, I think some of you ladies here probably held me when I was a little baby. And I remember going to Sunday school and sitting down there in the primary department and hearing Mary Yoder and Catherine, I don't know, I know there were others, but, you know, telling the story and how, yeah, how awesome that was as a little boy. <clears throat> and I went to, I sat in your, yeah, in your Sunday school classes and your Bible school classes and was in the youth with some of you, and uh, some of you were our sponsors. I don't know. I'm excited to do it, but it's, it is a little bit awkward. So. And I was out at, uh, uh, two weeks ago, we were out at, um, in Plain City. At, uh, we were at my wife's church on Sunday morning, and Elmer, the bishop there, said that, you know, He's looking forward to having me share sometime when I come out. He said, you know, we're out there. He was talking about it, you know, we're out there quite a bit. And he's like, you know, in a year or two, you know, we expect you to be up there preaching some Sunday morning. And I don't know. I've always looked up to him. Um, in fact, I went there to get my wife, you know. <laughs> no, I, I rescued her from there. <laughs> Anyways, um, no, I've always looked up to him. And how do, you, how do you stand, how do you instruct them? How do you stand before them and teach? And I think, I don't know, we, we find ourselves in interesting circumstances sometimes. You may find yourself teaching a class that's all older than you. You might uh, be a leader at work, and they hire somebody who has more experience and more, uh, more knowledge on how to do the job than you do, but you're stuck with teaching them how to do it or, or leading them. Um, I guess I kind of got a little taste of this uh, a year ago. Dad came to work for me, and that's really weird. Like some people ask me, like, how does that, how does that work? And I tell him, well, I'm the boss. I tell him what to do, and he does it. But it's not, it's not that easy, you know. It's somebody you've looked up to your whole life, and you, you know, he's taught you everything you know, and then all of a sudden you're out and you're his boss. Like, how does that work? I've had to tell him how to do things, and I've had to tell him to redo things because it was not done right. Now it's interesting, the roles have changed a little bit since, yeah, I'm taking his place. Now I'm asking him questions in the middle of the day, too. So, 
Um, I want to, you can turn into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I want to actually, I'm going to start reading at chapter 4 here, <clears throat> verses 12 through 16. Paul's giving Timothy some advice in relating to others in the church, and he prefaces it by telling, them, by telling him to be an example himself. I'm going to start reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So, in you know, when we're relating to people, make sure that um, make sure that you're faithful first. Make sure that you're applying what you're teaching, and then this is what. And and I guess keep this in mind. Think of this as the context of these next two verses here, verses one and two of chapter five. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. And that's what I want to, those two verses are what I want to look at this morning. Elder here does not mean an elder in the church. It just simply means somebody who's older. I know some churches, you know, will elect elders, things like that. That's not what it's meaning. It just means anybody who's older than you. And then obviously father would be your, as, a, as your physical father. And I think the position of a father demands respect, um, simply because without a father we wouldn't be here. So treat older men as you would your father. And you may get hung up on the fact that, well, there's good fathers and bad fathers. You know, what about, um, yeah, it may be hard to understand if you had a bad father, or maybe you had no father. Um, what that looks like, but I think we can all agree that a good father is good, faithful, loving, kind, worthy of all honor and respect. Not all men are like that, but they should be, and so that's the, fa- that's the kind of father that we should treat our elders like. And what does this look like for Timothy or for us? Um, when a father speaks, we maybe don't interrupt. We listen to what he says. We may not agree, but we consider. We respond gently. We give more weight to what they would say versus maybe what somebody else would say. Now, we are to treat the younger men as brethren. And again, you have the good brother, bad brother dynamic. But think about a brother as being like-minded. Um, it's having the same goals. Maybe, I don't know if like-minded is, is right because we're all different, but having things in common. There's a bond in brothers that I'm not sure I can explain. Imagine, I guess I have some illustrations here to maybe explain it a little bit. Imagine you go on vacation to Florida or Cal- there's some of you going to California here soon. Imagine you get there and you see somebody that has an Indiana license plate. Would you go up and talk to him and say, hey, where are you from? Oh, you're from Goshen? Well, I'm from Wakarusa. And, you know, you have something in common, right? You feel a camaraderie or a, a bond with them because you have something in common. 
Um, imagine two brothers that are playing against each other in a basketball game, and they, you know, they compete hard and they block each other's shots and they're, you know, working hard to win. But after the game, they go over and you know give each other a high five or whatever, and they're, you know, congratulate each other. Hey, you know, you won. You did a good job. And what about? Um, Maybe think too on on brothers as being on the same team. A good teammate will cheer on the other players, right? So <clears throat> imagine you're playing softball and you're the left fielder and you're cheering on because the shortstop made a diving catch and it was an awesome play and you're cheering him on. Or maybe maybe you're even on the bench. And you're not good enough to play, but you're cheering on the ones that are out there because we are playing this game. We are part of the team. There's mutual respect. We work together. Everybody's working towards the same goal. I think, I've, have you ever talked to a sports fan? You say, oh, what, uh, what team do you like? Well, we, I like Notre Dame. You know, we, well, who, who did, okay, so did, does Notre Dame play on Saturday? Oh, yeah, we play USC, and then after that we play well, are you, are you a player? Do you play for Notre Dame? Oh, no, 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 I, I just watch. Well, you said we. Well, it's because they feel a part. Like, they're a fan. They, they feel a part of the team. <clears throat> Treat the younger men in church like your brother, um, like you're on the same team. And, and on a team, you have different talents, different gifts. Um, you know, you want your... Uh, you want your shortstop to be fast and to be an accurate thrower, but you want your catcher to be a, a slugger, right? We all have different talents, different gifts. We all are working together. Treat the younger men like your brother and the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters. And I would have kind of the same thoughts I hear that I shared about fathers and brothers. Honor them and respect them. But there's something a little more tender, I guess, about a mother and a sister. And I think, I don't know if it's the weaker vessel or if it's just the protective instincts of a guy. But Paul told Timothy to treat the older women like mothers and the younger like sisters. And then he tags on there with all purity, and I think that's important. This isn't a license to just act however we want, to treat the women in the church as we would our real sisters, um, doesn't mean we can throw off moral restraint. It means that we respect that and we, um, we have good moral boundaries in that. Now I want to look at the word rebuke and kind of compare it with the word entreat. This word rebuke is not used that I'm aware of anywhere else in the New Testament. Um, it is verse 20 here of chapter 5. Them that sin rebuke before all that others may also that others also may fear. So that word rebuke is different. That that word means more admonish. But the word rebuke here in chapter five verses one means to like superimpose on, to shape by pounding, to smite. And that's how I'm going to mean that word when I refer to it. It's almost violent, a severe rebuking. 
It's not gentle. Um, Someone rebuking in this way is not interested at all in hearing what you have to say. It is, you do what I tell you and don't question my authority. And I think it's not always violent. It can be done almost silently, too, with a look and a glare that says, don't question me. Now, entreat is an imitation. It's to call near, to come near. Think about it this way. Rebuke is an outpouring of emotion and wrath on someone. Entreat is an impouring. It's an invitation to come near and be heard. Now, if you are entreating someone, you're still going to someone with a problem. There's still something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to change. But you're speaking about it in a way that's inviting, that invites conversation. It's non-confrontational. It helps the one that's, that's having the issue to be able to focus on the issue and the reasons rather than the power struggle. And I think that person would then leave the conversation feeling loved and cared for, um, valued, and heard. And this is, for, this is for all of us. It's not just the one who's in authority or the one that's teaching the Sunday school class or the one that's... Um, we, we all need to do it. Um, you know, have you ever seen where a leader will maybe go to somebody and, and ask kindly something and the person will lash out and rebuke the leader? And, yeah, the way I use the word rebuke there, it's almost violent. So I think we need to, to speak with gentleness. And I have a few words to say to the offender. If you are offending in your words, James chapter 3, verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So I get it that we all, we all say some things sometimes that we shouldn't. That's, that's probably normal. Not that we should excuse it, but we're all going to find ourselves in that position at times. But if you find yourself doing it a lot, I would say... Maybe we should check our heart. See what's, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart? What's coming out? Some questions. Do you love your brothers and sisters and your parents in the church? Do you want their good? Do you view others in the church as being on the same team, cheering them on, or as competitors, happy when they're defeated? And now, Some thoughts on the offended. And I want you to to consider something. This may sound kind of funny, I guess, but is it real? Is it a real offense? Or is it created by some of the things we just talked about? Do you have love for people? Or is it jealousy and competition? And one thing, I guess, that may may show this is is it one person you know if you relate well to everybody in the church but there's two or three people that continually offend then maybe maybe it's not so much that they're offending but maybe it's that we're just really sensitive to them because we have some jealousy in our hearts I don't know I'm just saying some things to think about Um, 
I, I worked, uh, this is going back, I don't know, 10 years or so. I was out for lunch with my boss at that time and a couple of his friends, and there was a comment made. I, I think it was about the food, and it kind of grossed the one guy out, and he's like, the man who made the comment left for a little bit, and the guy said, man, I wish he wouldn't have said that. <clears throat> he was kind of grossed out. And the other one, the other guy said, come on, don't be so sensitive. And I think, I think, uh, I think that's kind of a bold statement to say, don't be so sensitive. But I know that sometimes we right away, sometimes we are sensitive to what people say. And we right away think the worst. We right away think that they meant it towards me or that they meant it in this way. But try, try thinking that maybe they meant it in a, in the, like try thinking about it in the best way. Like could they have meant it in a different way than how you took it? Give them the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> like I just said, people are going to, or in James 3 verse 2, people are going to make mistakes and say things wrong. And so give people grace. Um, people are not perfect. And sometimes, yeah, I don't know that it's always good, but give people the opportunity to share how they really feel. And then I know some people like to be sarcastic, and that can cause some, some offenses. So if you, some people don't know how to take sarcasm. And if that's you, then ask, hey, did you really mean that? Were you really serious about that? And if you're sarcastic, make sure you know the people that you're talking to. Make sure they know that you're joking. And in our... Yeah, in, in that, it's not a, um, you know, we're not trying to become harder as a person so that offenses don't bother us. We're trying to become more wise, I guess, um, trying to see things maybe that we wouldn't naturally see. The goal is to love like Jesus did and to not give reason for offense, to not cause somebody to stumble. I want to go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. So if we do offend somebody, according to Solomon, it's an uphill climb to, to win them back. So it takes a lot of work. And it's true. Imagine somebody offends you, okay? Doesn't it... Yeah, maybe he says some unkind words behind your back or something. Doesn't it, wouldn't it hurt twice as much if it was your brother that said that? Or if it was your sister or your dad or your mom? <clears throat> a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Those words made me think. And then verse 20 and 21 Verse 20, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. A man's belly, your inner man, your heart, your feelings will be satisfied by what you say. Have you ever thought about that? Your words come out from your heart and satisfy you. You speak because you want to, and when you're done speaking, it feels good. You're satisfied with it. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Now, remember that. 
And let's read verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So if, if what comes out of our mouth comes from our heart, and what comes out of our mouth satisfies our heart, which do you love? Life or death? They that love it will eat the fruit thereof. So what comes out of your mouth will satisfy you, and you'll be satisfied with life or death. I want to go to James chapter 1. This will maybe give us some insight into why we should be why we should entreat instead of rebuke. I'm going to start reading at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So our flesh is wicked. It desires evil, and it's a battle. Our flesh tests us, and everything good comes from God. And sometimes we want to rebuke. We want to lash out at people, but it's, it's our flesh. <coughs> the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We could say it like this. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man entreat his brother. Rebuking worketh not the righteousness of God. So that's all I have this morning. Thank you for your attention. And I hope, yeah, I hope you're encouraged to look at your brothers and sisters in the church as being on the same team and um, encouraging them and treating them kindly, not rebuking, but entreating Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Thank you.